Y'all, I want to tell you about one of my favorite podcasts. It has been for a while. It's called The Fall Line. It is a deep dive true crime podcast focused on missing people, unsolved homicides, and unidentified persons whose cases have gotten little, if any, media attention. Recent episodes include a four-part limited series on the victims of serial killer Samuel Little and a two-part special covering the unsolved murder of 12-year-old Georgia Moses, a mysterious disappearance in Oklahoma, and a look at the murder clusters throughout our nation. The Fall Line interviews experts like the founders of the Murder Accountability Project and the Doe Network. Through narrative storytelling, primary and archival research, and expert and family interviews, The Fall Line introduces listeners to victims and survivors they've never heard of and explores the reasons why their cases were ignored in the first place. Check it out. I love this podcast. Look for new releases from The Fall Line on Wednesdays, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, y'all, before we get to the finale, I want to make some quick announcements. I have two of them. First, Thank you for listening and caring about Yvonne, David, and Joe's story. And so I want to ask if you knew that rating and reviewing the podcast directly translates to support. As you already know, it helps the reach, but it also lets sponsors, which is how we all make a living, know that people listen and care, and thus we can renew other seasons. So if you like Murder in Alliance, it takes just a second to click some stars and give it a rating. Second, we have a live Q&A Thursday, October 21st, where you can ask John, Danny, and I all of your burning questions you've wanted to this season. Details are on all of the Murder in Alliance social media pages, as well as my own. And if you want to join the discussion on Facebook, it's gotten pretty crazy. Join the Unjust and Unsolved podcast Facebook group. Previously on Murder in Alliance. You know, I think there's a lot of questions that have never been asked of him. Who was he really? And I'm not, I don't want him to try to bullshit us. You know, when you leave an interview and you feel like you've shared more information than the person who's fighting for their life, there's a reason behind that. And I said, point blank, did that happen? No. And then he changed the subject pretty quickly, man. Then it started turning into feeling sorry for David. I mean, for Jim. That's fine. You know, we know memories aren't tape recorders. Just... Tell us what you do remember. And he left out. He was not going to bring up the fact that he was with Joe at the Enix. Yeah. Hello, is this uh, Mr. T- Mr. Tool, Charlie Tool? I don't know who's this. This is Murder and Alliance, an active investigation into who killed Avon Lane. I'm Maggie Freeling. After we got home from our trip meeting with David Thorne, I called the only other independent investigator who's still alive, who has put as much time and effort into this as we had, Dwayne Pullman. If you remember, I spoke to Dwayne at the beginning of the season. He did a special on David, which renewed attention to David's case and brought to light the statement of George Hale, the man who told police he'd seen someone leaving Yvonne's apartment hours after her murder but before her body was found. 
Dwayne warned me this case would consume me, and it did. I'm good. How are you? Oh, wish I could be better. This case has oh. destroyed me. <laughs> yeah, I told you. I, I warned know. you. Well, you did. <laughs> so I guess I did have told you so. That's very <laughs> mature of me. Thanks. I wanted to run by Dwayne everything we found out and see if he could help process it all. Or at least let us know if we were totally off base. So, you know, we've, um, you know, been doing this for about a year now and uh, right. have come to some really interesting findings that I just wanted to let you know about and just see okay, if sure. you had any insight on anything. Um, so, yeah. um, It's been the bane of my existence, trust me. Yeah, well, I, uh, I've had a full emotional meltdown over it. So I guess, you know... We talked to everybody we could. I started telling Dwayne about everyone we spoke to, plenty of whom didn't make it into the podcast. Remember, we put up three billboards and an anonymous tip line, and we tracked down every lead that came from that. I told him about Chris Campbell. We were always told he was a snitch and an informant, but we didn't find that. We talked about Rose. Rose said too, Rose sent a text that said, I'm not talking to you, but I stand by what I said. The guys even spoke to the Enochs, who said they stood by everything they said at trial and, in fact, told the guys they're scared of Joe getting out because they're convinced he's a murderer. These are the people who took Joe in and cared for him. I told Dwayne how we realized once we were on the ground that it's nearly impossible to imagine that the Alliance police, a tiny police force where the lead investigator, Lloyd Sampson, had only worked one homicide case ever with a police file of ineptitudes, that they could have somehow masterminded a multi-town cover-up and convinced all these people who didn't know each other to lie. Sure, maybe people in Alliance were afraid of the Alliance Police Department. We've heard stories about that. But all these other towns and people who didn't even know each other to all be coerced to lie against two kids? For what? And then I brought up Sam Pegg, who was really the turning point for the guys. She sticks by it, too. And she's like, I don't think Joe did it. I love him. I don't think he did this, but he did tell me this. She still said that Joe told her before the murder, David wanted him to kill Yvonne. And after the murder, that Joe said he did it. You got two contemporaneous mm -hmm. then um, and continuing. That's interesting. That's pretty important. I mean, and after that, we were like, all right, it seems pretty clear Joe was involved. Whether yeah. he blacked out and didn't remember be his involvement and has made up stories. It's irrelevant. Right. It's just like, it he, it's that, very yeah. unlikely that Joe was not involved at this point. Yeah. So right. if we believe Joe was involved, then we have to look at, did he do it on his own or did someone else? In the Enoch's testimony, they say when Joe came to live with them on March 27th, he had 50 cents to his name. Karen Enoch testified to buying Joe cigarettes because he couldn't afford anything. The night of the murder, March 31st, when Joe got dropped at the mall, he told the Enochs he was going to clean out David's grandpa's garage. David told me that never happened. There was no garage clean out. Plus, we know that David was at shoot fighting and mostly accounted for that night. And none of it involved or left time for garage cleaning. But in the days after the murder, the Enochs testify that Joe was waiting around for David to give him money for a garage cleaning, which, according to David, never happened. But all three Enochs say in the days after the murder, has David come by with my money? Has David come by with my money? 
The Enochs in their statement say he had 50 cents before the murder, like he had no money, they were buying him cigarettes. So somehow he comes up with this money, which points to someone paid him for something. Sure, they did. And I, I remember that was absolutely, yeah, 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 that all makes sense. A few days later on April 5th, the Enoch said that David stopped by their house. He and Joe talked in the car. After that conversation, Joe was ready to go shopping. He asked Summer Enoch to take him. And the next day, they went. We went to Kmart, we went to Kent, and he bought a pair of rollerblades and a pair of work boots because he was going to start working with my cousin Robbie. We went to Kohl's, and that's where he bought socks, and he bought a pair of Nike shoes. And I went to that's all he bought there. And um, he wanted to hurry up and change into his new tennis shoes. And he took his old tennis shoes off, the Nike pair that he had on, and he put them in the box, and he changed and put a new pair of socks on. And he said he wanted to hurry up and throw them shoes away. And I said, why don't you just throw them away when we get home? He said, no, I want to get rid of them now. Okay, total that night, how much do you think he spent? Approximately. I want to say about 180. Is it a coincidence that this kid who didn't even have enough money to buy cigarettes was talking for days about David coming by to pay him for something David said never happened. And after he sees David, he suddenly has around $200 to go shopping. I don't know. I lit- I could not say, yes, David Thorne did this. I don't think, uh, you know, I would never want to ruin a man's chance at freedom if he didn't do this. I think there's enough if there. Um, but what is the percentage? I mean, it keeps getting, yeah. as they say, it gets worse and worse. And it's true. David's own conversation with the guys made things worse. When he was given a chance to speak for himself without having timelines in front of him or having Sue explain things for him, he couldn't do it. He fully removed Joe from that day. And again, we know he was at the Enox with Joe. That has been testified to. He knows that. He has sat there. He knows that is part of the day. Yeah, he's built a counter-narrative, it sounds. He has built a counter-narrative, and every part of his day removes Joe. And so they finally circle back after letting him talk and whatever and go, but David, we know you're with Joe at 5 o'clock at the Enochs. Oh, yeah, you know what? I I guess I did run into him. I was buying a soda. It's valuable information. A lot of this is freaking good on you, man. Here's what we're paying attention to, and this is why the PIs are are really crucial here, is you look for continuity and you look for um, clarity and you look for a lack of obfuscation and stuff like that. All the stuff that, you know, we do intuitively. Um, He's failing every measure, isn't he? I told Dwayne how David's explanation of when he knew Yvonne was selling sex kept shifting. To me, he just said all around he didn't know. And it seemed like sometime around trial or after she died, he found out. But David told the guys that he knew when he was taking her to those conventions what she was actually doing. I also told Dwayne how even when David did acknowledge that he saw Joe the day of the murder, the story was different than what it had been in the past. I also told him about Angie's allegations and the incidents of violence David did not voluntarily tell the guys about. It's excellent work that you did. It's just, um, it's just really shook me, you know, like, 
but but truth is what truth is isn't it i mean that's the whole job here if chris campbell stands by the story if sam stands by the story you have contemporaneous and continuing verification and then we have a hidden um domestic violence situation which was violent holy shit so this sounds yeah yeah i i know what it's starting to sound like when you're traveling to a destination where you don't know the language it can be challenging to accomplish even the simplest of tasks Last time I was in Mexico, I had a really hard time just asking for a receipt. But thankfully, there's Babbel, the number one selling language learning app. Through Babbel's bite-sized lessons, just 15 minutes, you'll learn new language skills that you can actually use in the real world. From greetings, menus, and directions to gaining a deeper understanding of the culture, Babbel is a travel essential. And I have been using Babbel for the past few months to get ready for my second trip to Mexico. This time, I'm going to know Spanish. Other language learning apps use AI for their lesson plans, but Babbel lessons were created by over 100 language experts. And I can say I've taken private Spanish lessons and Babbel's app is equally as good as my private teacher. I've used almost every language learning app out there and Babbel is by far the best one. Right now, when you purchase a three-month Babbel subscription, you'll get an additional three months for free. That's six months for the price of three. Just go to babbel.com and use promo code Maggie. That's B-A-B-B-E-L.com code Maggie. Babbel, language for life. Maggie, let me be clear on it. Um, you know, I, I've always tied... Um, my belief in this that at some point, some way, the truth will reveal itself. And I've tried and tried and tried, and I'm pretty good at what I do and couldn't do this. So this has haunted me. I told you that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm thankful that you're doing what you're doing, especially on the level. God. I mean, uh, my loyalty is to truth. It's not to individuals. At the time, given all the input and given all of the the um, points of reference, I concentrated on an effed up murder scene and an effed up trial. That was the right call. And I agree with Dwayne here. That's why we were all drawn to this case in the first place. This was a sloppy investigation conducted at a botched crime scene by inexperienced and frankly, problematic officers, followed by a trial that left room for a lot of reasonable doubt. But, you know, we were inconclusive on whether he did it. There was enough doubt about it, obviously. But the point is, you know, we took some runs at it and there were big questions. For example, we still don't know who George Hale saw leaving Yvonne's house the morning after the murder, which was what Dwayne's special mostly focused on. The Brady violation of withholding George Hale's testimony from David's defense team. We feel comfortable that that person was likely not the killer. As we've said before, her house was highly trafficked enough that that person could have been totally separate from the murderer. It could have been a friend who was supposed to stop by in the morning for coffee and stumbled on her dead body and fled. 
Or maybe it was an officer with a scheduled sex appointment who preemptively cleaned up any evidence of having relations with her. Not to cover up her murder necessarily, but maybe just to save his job. We raised the questions. Um, They're getting answered, at least in part, thanks to your work. I mean, do I feel icky about it? I feel icky about all parts of this. Yeah. And I always have from the minute I started. Yeah. Maggie, I think you know this. I'm not lecturing. I'm just supporting. Um, The truth is the truth. Whether we are comfortable with it or not, that's what it is. You know, I'm very disappointed to hear he was admitting after the fact a lot of stuff. And if things don't add up, they don't add up. Mm -hmm. And sorry that's one of those indications i mean he on all appearances seems to be a nice kind of all-american boy doesn't he alan man you know an older man but um you know it's not about appearances and it's not about charm it's about the truth but um you know as i absorb it all i really care about is the closure of it all yeah and i mean you know, I can't imagine. Have you told Sue yet? And what was her reaction? At this point, the answer was yes. Sue had been told, but not by me. After everything we found or hadn't found, the guys from Proclaim Justice decided they could not take David's case. Remember, all of this was preliminary work to see if there was enough there to invest more time and money into the case. And after a year of research, which is more than they ever do, hundreds of hours invested, five trips to Ohio, two separate prison interviews, tip lines, billboards, we found absolutely nothing that could help prove David or Joe's innocence. And what we did find was more damaging than helpful. The guys wrote David and Joe explaining their position and had a long phone call with Sue explaining everything and told her anytime she wanted to call or ask questions, they'd be there. I told her the same thing, and I was for a while. We went back and forth discussing the case and what we all found. I told her what was coming up in the season. We stayed in touch, actually, up until this episode when she stopped speaking to me. But no one expects Sue, who invested her life 22 years, went nearly bankrupt trying to help her husband to accept this. It's clear she's frustrated with the outcome, saying we didn't do enough, didn't follow the new cop leads we found. But truthfully, again, the guys didn't see a reason to start going down that road and spend more time when nothing pointed us away from Joe. Still, I can't blame Sue. This isn't just another investigation for her. It's her life. It's her husband. And all I can say is that I get it. I'm not taking it personally. And if she ever reaches a point where she wants to talk it over again, I'll be here. And so will Danny. And so will John. And to be clear, Proclaim Justice isn't labeling David and Joe as murderers. Any case adopted by an innocence project has to have evidence, something new, something missed, to help clear the person convicted. That's what we were looking for. David's used up all of his appeals. He needed new evidence. And we just cannot find that in this case. 
So while the guys packed it up and moved on to the cases they have with investigatory evidence to help exonerate their clients, I hadn't yet. Hey. What's going on? You can hear me? Yeah. Okay, awesome. I decided I needed to give David one last chance to explain what happened to me. Why was the story he told me different than what he told the guys? Was he lying? Why did he omit Joe from his timeline of the day of the murder? Maybe he had a good explanation. I didn't have an organization and time and money to keep in mind. I'm me on my own doing this because I believed in David and I still wanted to. So I started by asking David what happened with the guys. Why did they leave there feeling the way they did? Um, so, you know, you could tell me your side of it. Like, that's, I want to hear your side of everything. Yeah, because my only problem was whenever they start to ask me a question, I start to answer it. But as I'm in mid-answer, then something I say or a secondary question comes up. And then, like, the flow of the conversation was kind of convoluted, I guess, because... Then I'm, you know, I'm just chasing my tail trying to answer a new question as it comes up. David told me the guys were confusing him, asking one question on top of another. But I've heard the guys do dozens of interviews. You've heard it too. That's not their style. They're slow, methodical. They even play dumb, as Danny likes to say, Columbo the person. Badgering is just not their style. And on top of that, David had his attorney of record present. I mentioned this before. If the guys had been steamrolling him, she would have stopped it. That's why she was there. And I told David he needed to find a better explanation for why he couldn't answer questions than this. Because truthfully, it was bogus. And I'll be honest. I blended two different events. But in... in I guess, for lack of a better way of saying it, in my defense, the time that they're questioning me of is before anything ever happened. So to me, that's just another normal day in my life. I don't know how else to explain it. There was nothing exciting going on, nothing to be truly remembered. That's just plucking something out from months prior and, and trying to put trying to put it together. But remember... It wasn't months later. We know that on April 2nd, the day after Yvonne's body was found, David was in the precinct with his attorney being questioned. Here's one of our first conversations. By the time they started talking to me, I'm going in to try to help them figure this out. And all of a sudden, they're telling me, you know, help us help you. And I'm, I don't need the help. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm here to help you. And then whenever I saw that they were actually looking at me, then that's whenever I, well, actually my grandfather contacted an attorney. David knew immediately that he was a suspect. This wasn't months afterward, like he said, which I could completely get. Imagine someone asked you today what you were doing on some nondescript day two or three months ago. Of course you'd struggle. But the first time David had to remember his day was the day after Yvonne's body was found. Granted, he didn't answer questions at the time. His lawyer shut down the interview, but he well knew he needed to get that information ready. He was a suspect in a murder case who at some point 
might have to argue his innocence. I mean, their big hang-up wasn't even the blending. It was that you were not going to say you were with Joe that day at the Enox. And they said they asked you multiple, multiple times what your day was like. I was with him there because is what they kept asking me is saying that I was there beforehand. And I said I was never there beforehand because that was the first time that I was ever there because that's the first time that I ever met Karen. David went on to talk about something completely different, so I circled back. That's not the issue, though. Their issue was, they said, lay out your timeline of that day. That day, you know you were in the Enox driveway at 5 o'clock with the lion, and they said they asked you multiple times, and they finally said... Well, you were with Joe that day. And you they did not like that you were not going to tell them you were with Joe that day. See, I don't get that. Whenever they asked me what I was doing, by the time I left, I told them, I said, I don't know exactly what time that I was there. Other than that, I never said I wasn't there. But you did, you, David... That's what they're saying you didn't tell them, that you kept omitting that information. I mean, why else was I there? I, that's, a, that's a given. How, but why to else them, there but to them it, it looks like you're trying to actively not put yourself with the person who likely did this. They said they asked you multiple times. What else happened? What else happened? What'd you do after the Subway sandwich? What'd you do after this? And you never once said I was well, asking you not this, with the line. By the time I go to Subway and everything, that was already me gone from there. He started circling again. So I went back. No, it wasn't you didn't see Joe again. They said, they said you didn't see Joe. And then you said, oh yeah, I saw Joe. Because on that one, they were asking me about the money from... Uh, summer and I said I didn't give any money to him whenever I saw him and they said so you saw him and I said yeah but I don't think at the time that they're saying because that part I don't recall you know the specific day I said but and then he asked me going back to the thing so it wasn't that I was denying being there because that's the only reason I was there because I have no reason to be at the Enox other than Joe because I don't know the people from Adam Right. Which, yeah, exactly. I mean, that was just their hang-up, that you weren't going to tell them that you were there, even though they knew you were there. I didn't deny it. That's just it. I, I didn't... I still don't understand how... But that's how that they I'm, felt the whole conversation was, is you weren't giving information. They had to pull information out of you. It's how they felt. Yeah, but I don't know what it is that you want me to say to you unless you ask me the question. The timeline of your day. They said, what is the timeline of your day? You know you're at the Enoch. Why didn't you put that in your timeline? It was in my timeline. They said you did not tell them you were with Joe when you were laying out the timeline. And finally, after all of the circling... I don't know that I have to tell them that I'm standing there with him because that's the only reason that I'm there. But you do, David. You have to tell them everything. They asked you to tell them everything, and that's their problem, is you didn't tell them anything. They said they left that conversation feeling like they told you more than you told them. I mean, I I don't know. I'm sorry that they feel that way, but I was just trying to answer the questions as they came. And that was that. 
David said he didn't tell them he was in the Enoch's driveway with Joe just hours before Yvonne was killed as part of the timeline they asked him to lay out because he didn't know he had to. Doesn't it seem like the world's against us from getting a good night's sleep this time of year? Even in New York, where it's starting to turn to fall, sometimes we have 80 degree days. It's crazy. And I cannot sleep when I'm hot. But when you have a purple mattress, you can sleep cool and comfortable no matter what the world throws at you. And that's because only purple mattresses have the grid. I have been obsessed with this grid technology since I saw it. It is unlike memory foam, which remembers everything. The grid bounces back as you move and shift. So you never get that I'm stuck feeling you do with memory foam. It literally conforms to your body so much better. I am obsessed with my purple mattress and my purple pillow. I finally have the most comfortable sleep setup I've ever had and I sleep great. Try your Purple Mattress risk-free with free shipping and returns. Financing is available too. Purple is comfort reinvented. If you have a bad back like me, absolutely check it out. Right now, you'll get 10% off any order of $200 or more. Go to purple.com slash MIA and use promo code MIA. That's purple.com slash MIA promo code MIA for 10% off any order of $200 or more. Purple.com slash MIA promo code MIA. Terms apply. Did you know that cats are carnivores and need lots of meat? I actually learned that from my vet that leading cat food brands are often filled with fillers, grains, and very little protein. They told me that my cats need to eat a lot of protein. And often you cannot find that in grocery store foods. So that's why I switched to cat person cat food. It's everything my cat needs to stay happy and healthy. High quality, high protein meals delivered right to my door. And I've arranged for cat person to provide an exclusive offer of nearly 50% off just for my listeners. Cat person has 50% more protein than industry standards and only uses wholesome ingredients. Meal plans are fully customized for your cat and perfect for cats of all ages. There are 16 easy to serve wet foods and three different dry foods. My cats are obsessed with the mackerel and bream wet food. I gave it to them and when I ran out, I had to give them their regular old food and they would not eat it. They are obsessed with Cat Person. And Cat Person offers a 30-day money-back guarantee on your custom plan if your cat doesn't love Cat Person like mine. No questions asked. You and your cat are going to love Cat Person as much as we do. Go to catperson.com slash MIA and use code MIA to save nearly 50% on your starter box with free shipping. That's catperson.com slash MIA, code MIA to get nearly 50% off your starter box with free shipping. Catperson.com slash MIA, code MIA. Do you want to tell your side of the Angie story? David denied all of the allegations Angie made, and he even gave an explanation for why, according to him, she made it all up. He said she had started dating Daniel, now her husband, after David and she broke up. 
Daniel is the one we spoke to on the phone who confirmed Angie's allegations. I don't know if he found out or when he found out, but they were already engaged and she paid for a hotel on Route 5 for us to go to whenever they were dating. David said the reason Angie lied about all of this is because Daniel told her to because he was pissed she cheated on him with David years earlier. Is that possible? Sure. Could Daniel have intercepted our message to Angie and she had no idea we called? Sure. Maybe she would have said, yeah, I made it up. Who knows? But according to David, this is why she made up multiple incidents of abuse and David robbing houses. And to be clear, Angie did not testify at trial. But that's not because she wasn't credible. We don't know that one way or another, what was thought about her credibility. But her testimony would likely have been prejudicial to David and no reasonable judge would have allowed it in, regardless of her credibility. And to be clear, we are not saying Angie made this up. That only comes from David. But David did admit to something. He admitted to shooting out the car tire when Angie was in the car like she claimed. While Angie said it was four tires, David said actually it was just one. But let me repeat, he admitted to shooting at a car that a woman, his girlfriend, was sitting in. And this was his justification. But she was leaving in my car. And I mean, after all, it was my car. And then I asked David why his story changed about the sex work. I guess one of my questions is, you specifically told me, and I will send you the tape, that you had no idea why she was going to conventions. And then you told the guys, you told the guys that you knew why she was going and you just had to put it out of your mind. That was afterwards. Her and I went together twice. When I was taking her for the conventions and everything, I had no idea. When her and I got back together after Brandon is when she came clean. Okay, they said it was very clear that you said... No, I told them. I, you I told them knew why you were dropping why. her off. Because, because they asked me what it was like for me being with her on the second time around. I had to put that out of my mind. Because that was part of whether her and I were really going to get together and be together the second time around. That's where we aired out all of our dirty laundry with each other. But then whenever they asked me if I knew, yeah, I knew. Not whenever we were together the first time, but I knew the second time. So if this is confusing for you, it's also confusing for me. I have never been able to get a straight answer on when he knew about the conventions and why he told the guys he knew exactly why he was dropping her off and why he told me he had no idea. Remember, this is what Dwayne just said. You look for continuity and you look for um, clarity and you look for a lack of obfuscation and stuff like that. All the stuff that, you know, we do intuitively. Mm-hmm. Um, he's failing every measure, isn't he? But, okay, for fairness, let's just say David was confused. Benefit of the doubt. He still knew before Yvonne was murdered and before trial about all of this. And this 
is a problem. David had written a letter to me at the end of August saying, quote, had I known Yvonne was, quote, working conventions, then yes, I would have tried to get custody. I'd have led with that. No questions asked. Who would subject their child to a revolving door of unknown people and access? End quote. But David did know. He admitted here that he knew. He knew about the sex work before the trial and before she was dead. So it's plausible to think that he did want custody. In fact, at least four people, including David's grandfather, said he wanted custody. Yet David told me from the beginning, he didn't. They had a great relationship. But now if I'm thinking that maybe the police got this right, maybe it wasn't about money or paying Yvonne child support. Maybe it was about David not wanting his son to be in that kind of environment. David's grandfather even said David wanted custody in his police interview April 7th, but he added that David couldn't prove Yvonne an unfit mother because the kids were always clean and the house was clean. So was David just desperate enough to get custody of Brandon that he had Yvonne killed? And we also found out that not only did David know about Yvonne's sex work, but he completely left out that he was part of that world too. When I asked David in the past about Yvonne's stripper friends, seeing if maybe I could talk to one of them, if maybe they would know who would want to hurt her, he said he never knew their names, which may be true. But now we found out from one of David's friends that David was actually in this world himself. He had a phone number, 947-SHOW, where he would make calendars of strippers and he would also connect them to bachelor parties and the like. This information was never volunteered and was accidentally given to us. Now, does this make him a murderer? No, but the more we dig, the more we find out that David seemed to have minimized or omitted some pretty key details. That he had been with Joe the day Yvonne died and that he'd been accused of violence towards women in the past, that he knew about Yvonne's sex work, and that he was at least peripherally part of that world. Which makes me wonder, maybe he does know who her sex worker friends were and just doesn't want us to talk to them. And at first, all of this may seem innocuous, but when you start piecing it together, it's just not. Everyone's stories fit together. The police were not sophisticated enough to mastermind a cover-up. John, Danny, and I discussed this. They could have gotten this right and still been a fucked-up police department, so a broken clock is right twice a day. If it turns out the police were right, it seems like it was thanks to luck, not great police work. In fact, we know the police were getting desperate from going to the psychic, to the alleged framing of Greg Cox, to going to three of David's friends allegedly trying to pin it on them. But eventually, the case fell right in their lap, starting with Rose Moore. If her building manager hadn't called the police to say Rose knew something, the police may never have known about Joe. After that, the pieces all fell into place. 
Rose and Chris told the police about Joe, telling them he was in town to murder a girl. Joe told the police about David and Sam. Sam told the police that Joe was telling her months ahead of time about this. The Enochs, who Joe was living with, said Joe had no money until he saw David days later after cleaning a garage that never happened. And the tools blew David's alibi out of the water, even saying David asked in advance to leave the exact time Joe was picked up from the mall. It's all right there. But yet all of us have been drawn to this case because the arrests came from a notoriously corrupt department with detectives that had less than stellar reputations, a botched crime scene, Brady violations, and multiple people who could have done this who were never looked into, all corroborated by police records. The entire investigation and trial left what I would certainly consider reasonable doubt. There was no conclusive physical evidence leaking Joe to the scene. Had the jurors heard from George Hale, perhaps the verdict would have been different, but they didn't. If David's team had called an expert to refute state's evidence, maybe we wouldn't be here. But none of that happened. And if there's one thing I can say for sure about this case, it's that David Thorne did not get a fair trial. And yet we still have lingering questions we may never get answers to. The crime scene certainly does not match what Joe said happened. And neither does the murder weapon. Why has Joe's story changed so many times? However, there could be very easy explanations. There's a condition in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders called Disassociative Amnesia, a form of memory loss caused when a person witnesses a traumatic event. In some cases, the memory may be restored days later or not at all. It's possible when Joe told Sam he did it, he knew something happened, but he didn't really know what or how. It's possible when the police took him in, they told him how it happened, the whole sitting on the couch bit, and that was the story Joe agreed to because he just didn't remember. And it's possible today he is so confused by how many people have questioned him, interrogated him, asked him about different stories, told him different stories, he doesn't know what is even true anymore. But I do know that Joe believes he is the kind, caring person we heard so much about who was severely abused by his family and foster parents and just wanted someone to love him. And David was that someone. And it bothers us that this whole time, if David did do this, that Joe's been painted as the bad guy and David as an angel. I think Joe did go there with the folding knife. The only folding knife of that kind bought that year on March 31st, at the exact time Joe said he bought it. But after Chris Campbell said he made fun of him and said, who are you going to kill with that, Joe? Joe ditched it and used the kitchen knife. That at least seems to be a reasonable explanation for some of the lingering questions. But the other questions may never be answered. And really, I'm not sure how much those would matter. We have no new evidence pointing to innocence. And once someone is convicted by a jury, that's what you need for a new trial. Do I think the jury should have convicted him? Maybe not. Again, I don't think the trial was fair. 
but we're past that stage. At this point, to move forward, we need to have found something exonerating. Even something as simple as any one of these witnesses telling us they lied or changing their story for us to continue, and it simply did not happen. At the end of all of this, there was a woman, a mother, a friend, a daughter, who was brutally murdered, and her family has had to relive that for 22 years. We went into this wanting to get justice for Yvonne Lane and her family. All of them deserve to know the truth. And if that truth was the wrong men were convicted, we wanted to find that. We believed in David and Joe's innocence, and that's why we did this. But now, we believe the family also deserves to have their mother and daughter rest in peace. Discussions about whether Yvonne was or was not a sex worker or a dancer or used drugs are important to the case in that that type of activity opens the door for so many potential suspects. But beyond that, it really doesn't matter. Her life was worth more than a pair of Nike shoes and some rollerblades, regardless of how many people she might have slept with or what drugs she was doing. It has to hurt the people who love Yvonne to hear her talked about in that way. So our part in this is over. The billboards will come down. The tip line will close. We just don't have enough to keep moving forward. A conservative estimate is that there are more than 20,000 innocent people in prison. And I have to move on working for them. You can make up your own mind with the evidence we found or did not find as to whether David and Joe are part of that statistic. But regardless, I do believe David Thorne and Joe Wilkes deserved to have their case looked into with integrity and depth. John and Danny and I did that. I can sleep at night knowing that someone circled back to try and find the truth in this case, and we got as far as we could. And that's not to say our investigation is or should be the final word either. There's still work that can be done. There's a fingerprint that 22 years later should be run through CODIS to see if there's a match. There is DNA that has never been tested. Perhaps someone out there has the time and money to pick up where we left off. If that happens, I would encourage David to be a bit more forthcoming with anyone else who comes along. But I want to end this focusing on Yvonne, who didn't deserve what happened to her, no matter what choices she'd made in her life. And her kids, who were children at the time, did nothing to deserve having their mother stolen from them. I hope at the least that Yvonne's five boys can conclude what they want and remember her how they want to. Tony, Vinny, Brandon, Trenton, and Preston deserve that. If you could correct everything that's been said about her, what do you want people to know? I think that's the thing where I differ from a lot of people. Honestly, I don't, I really don't give a damn what they think about her. I know how I felt about her. Why do I care what everyone else thinks? Whether she slept with people, didn't sleep with people, whether she did drugs, didn't do drugs, why do I care what anyone thinks but me? Well, what do you think about her? I loved her. She was crazy. But I 
Y'all, if you like this show, please consider joining the Unjust and Unsolved Patreon. It shows how much you care and helps us continue to tell these stories. Plus, you get some awesome bonus episodes, Q&As, and events as a thank you. And please, please rate and review. The more reviews, the more attention, and the more likely we're going to get tips and leads and the right ears will be reached. Murder in Alliance is produced and reported by me, Maggie Freeling, with editorial consulting from Amber Hunt. Aaron Case is our legal intern, and Bob Mallory is our engineering assistant. For more information and resources, go to murderinalliance.com. You can find Murder in Alliance on Twitter and Instagram at murder underscore alliance and join the discussion on Facebook at Unjust and Unsolved Podcast Discussion Group. Murder in Alliance is a production of the Obsessed Network. You can find all their shows at obsessednetwork.com. <laughs> <laughs>